I thank you for uh, the opportunity to come to open your word, um, to gather together with the saints, to praise your name. Man, I just don't think that there's anything greater than that. God, you tell us that that's what heaven will be like. And so we look forward to the day where our faith, where our blessed assurance uh, will be made sight. So God, um, I pray that you would just speak through, speak through me, speak through the text this morning, and um, we just give you praise. I give you the, all the honor and the glory, and we say these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm, uh, I'm grateful to be able to share with you guys today. Uh, a few weeks ago, when Justin said he wasn't going to teach this Sunday, I kind of had a little gulp in my throat. I was like, oh man, here we go. What's going to happen? The guy that sings, he's going to tell to talk. I don't know. But I knew um, that whatever it was going to be about, I wanted to have a conversation with you guys about worship. So that's what we're going to talk about today. You know, outside of the Bible, there are hundreds of topics and books on worship. You can go get a degree in, in, uh, in, in worship and certifications and all this stuff. I realize it's a very broad topic, so we're not going to cover everything today. Obviously, how could we? But this morning, I wanted to talk with you guys about some specific points just on biblical worship. What, what is that? What, is, what does that look like? What is biblical worship? Worship. You know, as Christians, we use uh, the word worship a lot to when we refer to singing, which is the most popular usage of the term uh, to believers today in a corporate gathering. That's how we do corporate worship. Singing is a form of worship. That's true. And when we gather together, we sing, we lift up the name of Jesus, just as the Psalms say. The Psalm earlier said to raise your hands in the sanctuary, to praise his name. So we're commanded in all parts of Scripture, all throughout the Scripture, to worship. But the Bible teaches, if you look further, that worship goes just beyond that. It goes beyond the corporate gathering. That's, that's one slice of the pie. And so... Um, in the short time I have, man, I don't know how you do this, Justin. This is a lot. To, <laughs> I got a lot to say in a little bit of time. Um, I just wanted to kind of put a magnifying glass on what that term means from both the Old Testament and the New Testament and put together kind of a working definition that aligns our hearts with Scripture and what worship is. Because as much as worship is coming into the corporate gathering, worship is so much more than that. This is one slice of the pie. Um, side note. Growing up, uh, my pastor at church, he was an amazing teacher, and he loved to teach out of the Greek and the Hebrew. So um, I think just by, you know, close proximity to him, I became kind of a word nerd. Um, I love to know uh, what things mean, how they're defined. And I remember as a kid, I really enjoyed reading the encyclopedia. And even as adult, you know, um, Wikipedia, which I don't think is hardly a reliable resource. But um, we're going to start today with the definition of worship. So what, um, what does worship mean? Let's open, uh, open your Bibles today, if you can, to Genesis 22. 1 through 14, and uh, we're going to read that together. Jesse, can you put that verse 1 on the screen, please? Genesis 22, 1 through 14. This is the story of Abraham uh, and Isaac. And we'll find that this is where worship, in the sense of true worship, what it means is first mentioned in the Bible. So we'll jump in right here. Genesis 22. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, Here I am. 
He said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning. He saddled his donkey and he took two of his young men with him and his son, Isaac, And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and he saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, you stay here with the donkey and I and the boy will go over there and we will worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on uh, and laid it on Isaac, his son, and he took it in, and he, in his hand, the fire and the knife. So they went, both of them, together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father, and he said, here I am, my son. He said, behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them, together. And when they came to the place of which God uh, had laid him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac and his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham, whoa. (laughs) He said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand to the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and he looked and behold, behind him was a ram caught in the thicket by the horns. And Abraham went and took it, took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place the Lord will provide. And as it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. So looking back to verse 5, we see that the first time biblical worship is actually mentioned in the Old Testament in, in Genesis 22, 5, is in that story. In verse 5, then Abraham said to his young man, hey guys, you stay here with the donkey, and I with the boys, uh, and, with, and the boys, and I will go over there, and we will worship and then come back to you. That word worship right there, we'll get back to the context of the story in just a little bit, but looking at that word in Hebrew, which is what the language of the Old Testament was written in, it's called shakach. Now, I did not sneeze. Thank you. Thank you. So it's really in the back of the throat. So we're going we're gonna to practice a little Hebrew today. Um, so say it with me. Shakha. Turn to your neighbor and say, welcome to Hebrew 101. Okay, good. All right. Uh, so, uh, so that's that's that word right there, shacha. Hishtakava is another also Hebrew word for worship. Additionally, there are seven other distinct Hebrew words in that passage and praise found in the Old Testament. That is a lot of words for praise, but to God, words matter. Definitions matter. Why? Because they provide boundaries that have distinctions, sometimes a truth that our culture today really does not appreciate, but the Scripture of God appreciates very much. If you look, um, Shekha has two meanings. One, it means to bow down, to lay 
prostrate, to lay on the ground, and, and two, it's a sense, a fuller sense, a deep sense of, of reverence, of holy reverence. So number one, there's a, there's a physical nature, there's a posture, and throughout the Bible we see passages where people are, are, are bowing down to God in worship in the Psalms, or even to false idols or kings like Daniel and the Babylonians, or you look at the birth of Jesus, the wise men came in Matthew 2. That's the word that's used right there, shakat. The wise men found Jesus, a baby, and they bowed down to him and they worshiped him. That Greek word there is actually called proskuneo, where we get the word prostrate, to kneel down or to lay. So there is a physical nature to the word worship. So if we love God with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, all of our strength, then in turn, our lives should physically demonstrate his love through us to the world around us. That's part of the bowing down. So when we say, God, we love you and we worship you, again, it's not just in this room. We worship God through our lives, through the actions that other people see. That is our spiritual act of worship. The other meaning the deep sense of reverence. You think about 2 Samuel 14, the Lord said to Samuel, don't look on his outward appearance or the height or a statue because I have rejected him. Looking at the passage where David was being chosen among his brothers, for the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks where? On the heart. Luke 6, 45, Jesus says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Notice the duality of this definition. You've got the physical sense and you've got the heart sense. The position of our hearts and the position of our body matters to God. The position of our hearts in a daily relationship. So here's the question I pose to you. How is your heart relationship with God today? Does it exist on Sunday or does it exist throughout the other days? of the week. You look at Abraham's example. Abraham's heart towards God said that I will give my all, I'll give my most prized possession if you ask me, God. So first we see that biblical worship involves the position of our body and our heart. By the way, our praise, what we were just doing a moment ago, our praise is what gets our heart ready to enter into his presence. Because if you think about it, God's heart doesn't need changing. His heart towards us is always good. It's always perfect. It's our heart that needs aligning to the Father. And that's what our praise does. It prepares our heart to enter into his presence. Going back to the text, Genesis 22. I really believe it's one of the most significant chapters in the Bible that every believer should understand. And it's vital to the understanding of worship. God commands Abraham to go to a mountain that he will show him that he's never seen before. And at that mountain, Abraham was supposed to take his only begotten son, Isaac, up to that mountain and sacrifice him to the Lord. Have you thought about that for a moment? Sacrificing your only son? I, I just, it just blows my mind. So Abraham obeys this, and he takes his young men with him. They travel three days up this mountain, um, identified as Mount Moriah, where the temple would later be built. The temple of the Lord will be built not by David, but by Solomon there at Mount Moriah. They leave the young men at the base of the mountain, and Abraham and Isaac walk up together. Isaac is carrying the wood on the sacrifice of his back, and, and Abraham carries the fire and the knife. 
And as, you know, as they're walking, they're probably talking to each other. You know, if I'm Isaac, you know, I'm a teenager. Here's my 100-year-old dad. I'm walking up the side of the mountain. Dad, what are we doing here? <laughs> I'm a little bit nervous. We've never been here before. You're not good with directions. I'm the one that drives. You're 100. <laughs> Maybe he's saying that. But no, he doesn't say that. He, sa- he says, where? He goes, Dad, I, you've got the fire and you've got the knife, but where's the lamb? Dad, we forgot the we forgot the lamb. Dad, I have a question. What's what's going on here? There's something missing. And then we see Abraham responding to Isaac's question with a very significant phrase and he says, "God will provide himself a lamb for the burnt offering, my son." Such such an important phrase. Considering the entire scope of Scripture, you know, we have the benefit of seeing the Old Testament and the New, but right then they just had that moment that they were there. A very good translation of that verse in RSV says this, the Lord will provide himself a lamb. Because that, that translation in English gets almost exactly the, the ambiguity of the Hebrew and the Greek as, as well. In both the Hebrew and the Greek passage, the Old Testament has two senses. The Lord will provide himself a lamb. It could either mean, number one, God himself is going to somehow drop a lamb from the sky or the local brush or on the top of the mountain, H-E-B curb style. He's going to get us a lamb somehow. Or number two, God will provide himself as the lamb for the sacrifice. Do you see the significance of that? But in both senses are true. One sense is going to be fulfilled here in Genesis 22. And then the second sense that we know right now, because we're on the other side of history, it's going to wait for a fuller fulfillment 2,000 years later with the sacrifice of Jesus, the perfect lamb. So Abraham and Isaac, they go to the top of the mountain. And notice, notice in Genesis 22, who's carrying the wood? Isaac, right? Which, which indicates that he's not a child in this story, okay? And, and so I, I had to pause for a second and, and go back to my own upbringing. When I was growing up, we had this thing called the flannel graph. You remember what that was? Anybody flannel graph? Am I the only one? I see, Okay, there we go. I see that hand. Thank you, Andy. So a flannel graph was this felt board that had these felt figures that you stuck to it in Sunday school. And if you were, like, good for the teacher, they would let you move the flannel graph down the little and, you know, make a little story. In my remembrance of the story of Abraham and Isaac growing up, Isaac was this little puny guy. He was this tiny, weak, helpless child. He was a defenseless victim. But, but if, when we look at the context of the story, that's just not the case here. Isaac is a teenager. He's clearly stronger than his father. He's the one doing the heavy lifting. He's putting the, the, the weight of the, of, the, of the sticks on his back. And, I mean, remember, Abraham was 100 so if Isaac's a teenager, Abraham's like 116? That's, that's old, y'all. <laughs> He's no spring chicken anymore, okay? Would it be possible to consider that, that Isaac was even helping his father up along the mountain as a good son would? It's clear just by the text that Isaac, if he wanted to overpower his father or simply say, hey, Dad, you've lost your mind. I'm out of here. I don't know what's going on. That he could just leave. But it's clear that Isaac was a willing participant in this event. 
He could see what was happening. And even as that, this was a death that Isaac freely accepted. You know, we've heard that from somewhere else in Scripture. We've, we see the father offering his only begotten son on the, on the wood on the top of this mountain, and we know what's going on. And we fast forward to John 3. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. This is a really interesting parallel. Here, guys, stay with me. Dr. John Bergsma says this. The Apostle John uses a word there in John 3.16 that's only used three times in Genesis 22. In Hebrew, the word is yachid. It means the one and only. Outside of Genesis 22, that word is extremely rare in the Old Testament. So John says, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son or his only begotten son that he uses the phrase that is clearly alluding to Genesis 22 and picking up that imagery of Isaac. He's basically saying Jesus is the new Isaac who is willing to accept the sacrifice at the top of the mountain. You see, worship begins in the Old Testament. And worship involves our body. It involves our heart. But secondly, biblical worship is costly. It always involves sacrifice. The sacrifice of Isaac that, that, the, that God provided on Mount Moriah, the sacrifice of Jesus for us. You think about those things. And then what does Paul say in Romans 12, 1 and 2? Let's read it together. Put it on the screen, Jesse. It says, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. So, so what does that mean? Corporately, we gather for worship here. But worship has to come as an overflow of our Monday through Saturday relationship, and here is where we celebrate and have the party. That's what it is. That is really what true biblical worship is. Um, the guys are going to come up here in just a moment. We're going to close. Um, we want to end the service this morning uh, with, with the benediction. We want to sing over you guys as your pastoral staff, but I really... I really hope, we, we need to shift our minds. If we really didn't consider what true biblical worship was before, we, we know what that is now. We realize that it's not just coming to Sunday to sing songs. Worship is an expression of our spiritual lives as we connect to our Father every single day. And the overflow of that is what we get to share here today. So we want to sing something over you guys. You want to sing uh, a benediction as we close our service, as we, as we really lift up the name of Jesus, as we worship him together. So think about those things as we sing this song to you today.